everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Midwest Madness, your true crime, cult, conspiracy, and cryptic podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Danielle. And I'm sick. So I'm going to do my very best to, like, turn my mic off when I have to cough because nobody wants to hear that. But no promises. I'll do my best. I feel like one of us is always sick. It doesn't help that I work in an elementary school full of germs and children that don't cover their mouths when they cough. Yeah. So. Um, okay. I don't really have anything to say today. Do you? Um, I saw Cryptid on my way here. Uh, there is something on the other side of the divided highway by your house that's holding, like, one of those birthday balloons that has, like, the silvery balloon you know the where it's not like a rubber latex balloon it's like one of the silvery ones yeah and it's like holding a silvery balloon but it's it looks like it's like roadkill but it, i could i mean i was on the wrong side of the of the highway to see what it was but it's almost like someone had like a birthday party and like tied a balloon to a stuffed animal or something and it's just like laying on the side of the road and it's just very creepy <laughs> So it's not actually cryptid. No, I was being snarky. Well, you can't say stuff like "I saw a cryptid not too far from your house." That'll scare the shit out of me. Emily, I told you what it was. <laughs> I'm just saying, for the future, that could scare the shit out of me. We lived in an area that had a cryptid. The mm. Linwood woolly beast. We didn't live in Linwood. It lives in Carlos Avery. We, we don't live in Carlos Avery. We live right by Carlos Avery. Not that close. It's across a highway. It's like a mile and a half away. That's not that close. Oh, my God. Whatever. Just saying. I think I would call that close, but okay. Whatever you need to tell yourself. But it doesn't leave Carlos Avery, so. That's what that turkey was that jumped, (laughs) that tried to attack mom's truck when you were driving. That was even farther from Carlos Avery. I thought that was in Carlos Avery. Mm Oh. No. Oh, that's, I thought that's where you'd taken the dog to run. No, I had gone hiking. You hike? I used to hike. Really? Three times a week. What? For the, a whole summer. Really? Yeah. How did I not know this about you? I don't think you lived here. Oh, that was probably when I was working at camp. Yeah, so. All right, well, you really got, you really don't want to make any other announcements? No. Okay. Um, Cool. So, um, this week, I'm going to Michigan, and we're going to talk about someone who has a few different names, um, like the co-ed killer was one of them, the Michigan murders was another one, and the... I should have looked up how to say the name of this town. Y-P-S-I-L-A-N-T-I. Yeah. Ypsilanti? No idea. Ypsilanti? Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, Ripper. So, um, yes. Let's go into it. Um... So our story starts on June 17th, 1947 in um, Windsor, Canada, 
when a young boy named John Norman Chapman was born. John was the youngest of three and had an older brother and older and an older sister. John's father abandoned his mother and the family not too long after John was born, so he never really knew life with his dad. Um, now, this could have been a blessing in disguise because John's father was known to be abusive and an alcoholic. However, John's mother's next husband, um, husband number two, was also an abusive alcoholic. So, pattern just repeated itself. Yeah, unfortunately. That's too bad. Some abuse that John had to endure was once when he was two, his stepfather actually threw him across the family vehicle when he was extremely mad to get back at John's mother. Um, Another instance, his stepfather actually used John as a human shield when he provoked a fight with another man and that man pulled a gun on him. John was four years old at that time. Yeah, that's not traumatic at all. Not long around... Not long after this, in 1951, John's mom divorced this bad man and moved herself and her three kids to Detroit, Michigan. While there, she married her third husband, a name named William Collins, and he adopted all three children. Um, so, John went from Chap- John Norman Chapman to John Norman Collins. Okay. Um... Now, unfortunately, the cycle of abuse of alcoholic men continued with William, and by 1956, John's mother and William had divorced. Um, Now, even though John clearly didn't seem to have the greatest childhood, uh, he did thrive in school. He was an honor student, captain of the football team, and the star pitcher of his high school baseball team. After high school in 1956, John decided to attend Eastern Michigan University to study education. While there, he was again successful and quite popular on campus. He was in a fraternity but was kicked out due to su- suspicion of stealing. And this, I would say, would like be his first like quote-unquote blemish on okay. his character. Well, on campus, he did date. However, the woman that he dated often described him as very angry and sexually aggressive. During John's sophomore year at school, his grades began to slip and he was accused of cheating in class as well as petty theft on campus. Now, this is all the information I have about college i guess okay so those that like early 20s age well early ages period um i don't know if he graduated or what but the next information i could find on john came in 1966 when he found out that his sister was pregnant with another man's child other than her husband's Uh oh. when he found this out he tracked down that man and beat him until he was unconscious and then he turned the beating on his sister great yeah awesome not really turning out to be the greatest person on july 9th 1967 um 19 year old eastern michigan student mary Teresa fleezer disappeared after a neighbor reported her seeing walking her walking into her apartment the same neighbor also reported seeing a man in a blue gray chevrolet car drive by to drive by and slow to a halt to talk to mary two different times both times mary had shaken her head and walked away from the car her nude 
body was found by two teenage boys at an abandoned farmhouse on August 7th. The body was badly decomposed, but a pathologist was able to determine that Mary had been stabbed approximately 30 times in the chest and abdomen Holy shit. with a knife or another sharp object. Um, so the word, it, it That's gets, a lot of times. It gets kind of bad here like, for the rest of the time. Like gross? Gross or, a little. Okay. Just a little graphic. Just a little, maybe a little trigger warning-ish. Okay. But unfortunately, it is what it is. Um, her feet, thumb, sections of her fingers on one hand, and one forearm had been severed from her body. They were also able to determine that Mary had been beaten before she had died. Although police believed that Mary had been sexually assaulted due to the advanced rate of decomp in her body, they weren't able to say conclusively. They had to identify Mary with her dental records. <laughs> It was also determined by examining the crime scene that the body had move, been moved three separate times, um, they assumed, by the murderer. Holy crap. That's a lot of times. Yeah. I don't know if, like, he wanted her to be found and, like, he was trying to move her to where she would be found or what or why, but... And it, it wasn't like he moved her far. It was right. just, like, he moved her. Um... Now, two days after the body was identified as Mary, a man had showed up to the funeral home where her body was being held and told him that uh, he was a friend of the Fleazar family and asked for permission to take a photograph of Mary's body as it laid in a coffin as a, quote, keepsake for her parents. Um, no. When the young man was told that this request was... Impossible, he replied, quote, you mean you can't fix her up enough so I could get a picture of her, end quote. When denied again, the young man exited the funeral home. The receptionist at the funeral home could not offer any clear description other than he was a handsome young white male with dark features and he had been driving a blue-gray Chevrolet. I hate that so much. I yeah. hate it so much. Um, He also had not been carrying a camera, so I don't really know what his goal was but that doesn't make any sense yeah sadly mary's killer was not found and almost exactly a year later on july 1st 1968 a second victim was abducted joan shiel also a student was found five days later in ann arbor she had been sexually assaulted and stabbed about 47 times Police discovered that on the night she went missing, she was with a fellow student by the name of John Norman Collins. When they went to talk to John, they discovered that he was a personable and seemed like a good kid. Um, and unfortunately, they took his alibi at face value and never did any extra digging. Then, <laughs> this time, uh, just eight months later, a third body was found. Jane Mixer was discovered in a cemetery just south of Eusipalanti. I think if I just say it quickly, it, it goes quick better. <laughs> okay. Um, Jane had been strangled with a nylon stocking, and she had been shot in the head at a point-blank range. She was found. This is the first time someone's been shot, right? Yeah. Okay. She was found on March twenty-first, nineteen sixty-nine. Um. Just four days later, on March 25th, a group of construction workers who were working on a site not too far from where Joan's body had been discovered, um, so the second victim's body had been discovered, they found another body. This one was 16-year-old 
Marilyn Skelton. 16. Yes. She had been killed by blows to the head, and she also had an object inserted inside of her. Mm. It does say what the object is online. I just feel like I didn't didn't need to go into detail. Yeah. Thank you. Police also determined that she had been flogged with a strap or a belt before she had died. Um, And just three weeks after this... Another young man, woman was found. Holy shit. 13-year-old Don Basem was found half-naked in Superior Township, strangled with a black electric cord. Her sweater was found in an abandoned farmhouse about a mile from where Mary's body was found in 1967. So Mary is the first right. victim. We just really like have no cool-down period anymore, huh? Apparently not. Um, now, at this point, the killer decided to get a little cocky. And he began to actually taunt the police. When police returned to search that empty farmhouse a second time in April, they discovered articles of female clothing that had not previously been there. And then a short time later, someone actually set fire to an old barn on the property um, and lined up across the driveway, um, like going to the old barn. Police found five clipped lilac blossoms, one for each murder victim. So they were just like lined up. I hate that. Isn't that fucked up? Yes. Yeah. That's so weird. It's just cocky. Um, well, since we know his name, we know it doesn't end well for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. On June 9th, 1969, a group of teenage boys found the next victim, Alice Calum, who was also an Eastern Michigan University student. She had been found in a vacant field in Ysipilanti. <laughs> Sorry, this word is just funny to me. Um, she had been sexually assaulted, stabbed multiple times. Her throat was slashed, and she was also shot point blank range in the head. So this is only the second victim he shot, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me, not to interrupt the whole story, but it was stabbed, stabbed again, mm-hmm. shot, mm-hmm. beaten, Mm-hmm shot am i missing we're one? number six okay what What was the sorry not that it really matters but i'm I'm just curious because it's strangled odd. okay so with a beaten strangled cord. and then shot again yes so i can understand why police might not connect all of these right away because the mo is kind of different yeah. i mean there's there's an aspect of torture for all of them and beating for all of them isn't there yes some like some sort of violence before they die yes okay um and the last one was she was stabbed and her throat was slashed Oof. and she was shot in the head oh my god that's overkill yeah so i don't know what was like the actual cause of death on that one i don't not that again that it really matters but i don't mean overkill in like a disrespectful way but i it felt disrespectful after I said it, but oh. I just want so I just wanted to be clear. Th- thank you, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, the final victim was Karen Beanman, who went missing from her dorm at Eastern Michigan University on July twenty third. Her body was discovered just three days later in a wooded ditch, and she had been strangled and beaten. Her breast and stomach were. Sc- Scalded with a castric liquid 
and her panties had been wanded up and shoved inside of her. In those panties were wads of hair that did not belong to the victim. Um, not to say like, oh good, but like, oh good, we have some DNA evidence that we can use. No. No. Seriously? No. Damn it. Well, not. It's not. We'll just see. Okay. We'll keep going. Okay. Sorry. I spoke too soon, apparently. Three days after the last victim, Karen's body was discovered, State Police Corporal David Leake returned back to his home in Usipalanti. When he arrived home, he discovered black paint had been splashed all over his basement floor. David had concluded that this paint must have been spilled by his wife's nephew, John Collins, who had been watching over the family dog while they were on vacation. When he returned back to the office and told fellow officers about this, he found out that John Collins had been questioned as a suspect in these murders of the Coeds. He had been identified as someone who was seen with the last victim, Karen, on his motorcycle, and when he refused to take a polygraph, red flags went up. Now, remember, this was 1960 right. So polygraphs back then were a lot less... Mm known as shit than they are now right yeah okay um when he found out that when david corporal david found that out he decided to spend the evening scraping up the paint and what he found under it was some brownish stains after testing of the brown stains showed that they were just varnish corporal david returned to cleaning his (laughs) basement while doing so He had to relocate his washer, and what he found under it was tufts of hair that had belonged to his young sons. Before they had left for vacation, the family had gotten haircuts in the basement, and the hair was left over. Corporal David still decided to turn the hair over to police, and when this was tested, it was found to match the hair left in Karen's panties. They also found small amounts of blood in the basement that matched Karen's blood. So it wasn't john's but it, hair, it connected it but it was back to him his tiny cousin's hair which is more fact in my opinion yeah the fact that he's ballsy enough to do this kind of shit in a family member's house that's also a, a law enforcement person is real ballsy yeah um, when confronted with the evidence against him, John Gollins began to cry and continued to deny, he, to deny he was involved with any of the murders. However, the hair and blood evidence was enough to take John to trial for the murder of Karen. John's trial began on June 2nd, 1970. The primary evidence against him included the witness who identified John on the <laughs> motorcycle with Karen the day she went missing the blood in his uncle's house, and his cousin's hairs found in her panties. Um, John did not take the stand in his own defense, and on August 19, 1970, John was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. John was also charged with the murder of a woman in California named Roxy, whose murder resembled those of the Michigan murders. Um, John was in the area at the time. However, I could not find if he was like convicted of this one or not. Okay. Um, but that was the other one that he was charged with. He wasn't charged with any of the other ones. Um, John did try to appeal his case many times and failed, um, through all of it. Thank God. 
Although there was much evidence in all the other cases pointing to John as the suspect, he was never charged with any of the other murders. In July of 2005, DNA evidence in the Jane Mixer case, which was the first victim who was shot, actually cleared John of this murder. A 62-year-old former nurse named Gary Lederman was identified um, and charged and convicted with her murder. Not going to lie to you, that is astonishing to me. I did not see that coming. And um, Gary is not suspected in any other of the any of the other cases john collins remains in a michigan prison to this day and he has yet to take any responsibility in any of the other murders um he has exhausted all of his appeals and he will stay in prison until he dies uh there was a article that said he did try to because he technically has dual citizenship, so he tried to get himself extradited back to Canada. Um, because in Canada, he could have gotten released. Yeah. And he, like, at first won that, and then, a jo- like, there was, like, a lot of public outcry. And yeah, I'm then. sure Canada was like, no fucking thank you. No, it wasn't Canada. It was people really? here. Yeah. Oh. So, he didn't get extradited um so yeah that is the story of the Cohen murders and the Zipalanti ripper and the michigan murders yikes that was uh that was a doozy it was a lot yeah guys are a piece of shit agreed very much agreed I gotta assume at this point, if he's not dead yet, he's knocking on heaven's or house door. door. Yeah, yeah. He wishes heaven. <laughs> um, because I mean, if he was born in, well, maybe not. Well, I forgot what year he was born. So do I. <laughs> Fort nineteen forty seven. 80, he's 80-something. 80 yeah, so he's in his 80s. Yeah. Or almost in his 80s. Yeah. So, we'll see. But, yeah, there we go. Um, my sources were murderpedia.org, Wikipedia, and the Mid- Midwest Crime Files. All right. Nice. Thanks. I'm surprised that I didn't recognize any of that. Yeah. it's kind of a bigger... I The... Name I recognized was the co-ed murders. Like, right. I've heard of them before. Right. I just had never actually, like, looked into them. And his la- uh, the last name of Chapman, I heard before, too. But. M- must be a different Chapman. It must be. Because he went by John Collins. <laughs> right. So. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean. Not interesting, but. Interesting. Awful and terrible, but. Yeah. I think things can be interesting and still be terrible that's a good point yeah all right well i think that's all we have except for socials mm-hmm. right yep so we've got um mw madness podcast at gmail.com that is also our instagram and um midwest madness podcast group on facebook cool 
Um, we hope you guys have a great rest of your week and we will talk to you next Tuesday. And happy Mother's Day. Oh, yeah. For the mothers in our group. Not us, but we appreciate you. Okay. Bye. Bye.